What's your story? Whether you're a client or an independent financial advisor, we know you face many important decisions that can affect your and your clients' long-term financial success. Welcome to the WIN Podcast. What's important now with Corey Hymanson, accredited investment fiduciary and president of Hymanson Wealth Advisors. In this podcast, Corey helps you identify your goals and objectives through financial education and comprehensive planning while inspiring you to make better behavioral decisions in your personal finance. With a twist on pop culture and current events, join us as we explore growth and protection strategies for individuals, advisors, and their businesses. Come and discover what's important to you now. Hello, and welcome to the Win Podcast with Corey Hymanson. Corey, how are you? Good, Eric. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited. I got to meet your guest just briefly before we started. You have a guest in studio today. Who'd you bring on the show? Yes, it's a, a longtime friend and colleague of mine, uh, Wes Kudum. And he has a long uh, history in the agricultural field. Nice. And, and he's just a fun guy to hang around. So we're going to take a stab at a podcast and check that off his bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wes. Well, consider that bucket list checked, my friend. I'm glad you're on the show. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. All right, Corey. So what are you guys talking about today then? Uh, yeah, You know me, Eric. I always throw these little titles out and you wonder what in the heck we're getting into, but I called this one the dirty truth and then mm -hmm. long dramatic pause. And then in parentheses, it says of agriculture. So we're going to go down the field of agriculture and living here in the Midwest. Um, sometimes a lot of us take it for granted. Mm -hmm. I, I think a little bit of, of what agriculture is and what it means to our country or the world, essentially. And, and boy, there's a lot going on. And I'm, I'm not an expert by any means. So that's why you bring in somebody that knows more than you, you know? And, and so I thought maybe it'd be fun to talk to Wes and just get some background and see where the conversation goes. All right. Well, I get to be part of the listening audience today. So thank you so much. I appreciate it and uh, take it away. So, yeah, well, I'll just point it to Wes and just Give us a little background on who you are, what you, what yeah, you believe in. Yeah, Corey, thank you for uh, yeah inviting me. I mean, this is something that I'm not, uh, I've done very little of, but uh, I know Eric is at, you know, I, I just retired. I spent 48 years uh, in the agriculture business, uh, started back in 1973, I think it was. Um, and, and we wanted to talk about a little bit about the changes that we've seen throughout the last 20, 30 years uh, in agriculture and in the, the finance program, the whatever's involves that makes, puts the egg on your plate or the pork chop on your plate. And uh, that's kind of why I'm here. I've got a little few years behind me on that. So uh, hope that turns out well. <laughs> so I think it's an insurance company on TV, you know, has those commercials that says they've seen a thing or two. <laughs> Been there, done that, or whatever. I think you're probably in that camp, right? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's kind of one of the things that um, my my family grew up here, just in Lyon County, also, and uh, we had four boys. Dad didn't have a big enough farm uh, to uh, get us all farming, so I did the next best thing. I, I went to work for farmers, uh, uh, managed co-ops uh, for them many of them years, and that's kind of how the involvement that I've had with uh, agriculture has been working with farmers. And yeah, let, let's talk about the, the change, I guess. I, I know even for myself or you, I think decades go by pretty quick. We get that. Um, what do you think the biggest change is from, from maybe when you were fresh or, or just kind of getting into that industry versus maybe 
maybe now. You know, you know, back in the in the day, we uh, we spent a lot more one on one relationships with our customers and stuff like that, and uh, we didn't have all the technology that we have today. So uh, you were the technology, the individual, and we always had opportunities to uh, to be part of that gentleman's operation. He's uh, you got help set his goals, uh, help make it work for him. You uh, you had the ability to to know his, his wife by her first name, the kids, the dog, everything. You had the opportunity to be part of their family and their operation uh, back then. It's changed a little bit today just due to the fact that uh, technology's made things so more accessible. And, and maybe would you say agriculture in general is more corporate today than, than maybe just Small family farms or, or not so much? Oh, my. The family farm is probably struggling today, I think. Uh, it's, it is corporate. It's integrators. Uh, uh, the livestock today is not owned by uh, Farmer Brown down the road. It's, it's owned by the Smithfields and, and companies like that. And we've all become um, hired men for some of these companies on our own farm. And, and that's what's changed a little bit is that it's, it's big. It it's, has to be big to, in order to make it work anymore. And, and that's one of the things that's probably the largest change. So maybe I should even go back a step. When we talk agriculture, if, if there's a person sitting in, in Manhattan in, in a skyscraper and they've never left their four block radius, I mean, I assume their thought of farming would be a person with very non-technical equipment. I'm thinking like 50 years back, you know what I mean? Like a horse and a, <laughs> you know, that you bring up a good point. I think uh, agriculture kind of get a bad deal a little bit about being kind of old fashioned and, and uh, the bib overall kind of thing, you know, on the cornflake commercial. And, and that's not, true today it is that is totally changed uh, farming's a big business today and and it's uh, an important business and i think agriculture does well cuz uh, the, the line that i was taught back in the 70s already was that we will feed the world and and we have fed the world egg, egg has done a good job of doing that but we've also been a good job of teaching other countries how to also do good things with 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 agriculture farming and and uh technology in that side so yeah it's it's been a it's been a big change and no the the picture with the pitchfork and the and the shovel <laughs> i don't go anymore you know it's it's not that way right and and it's it's such a rewarding field but it's but it's difficult is that a fair statement for a oh, lot of man. people? Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of a lot of avenues on on you know, you you got to be able to uh, plan. I mean, and you're always fighting possibly the mother nature in, in the crop side of it. You're fighting health on the livestock side of it, uh, markets, uh, COVID. You name it, goofy things like that that you have zero control of, and and that involves a lot of risk that I think agriculture has every day. Um, I mean, it's just like the, the financial markets or the, the corn and the commodity markets. Uh, corn goes up 20 cents, corn goes down 20 cents. And that all, all affects the, the farmer's day-to-day -day bottom line and where he's going to be in the future. 
you kind of just hit something that it's, it's a flashback in time for me because I remember sitting down on occasion and arguing of sorts with, with a friend of mine, but he's, he runs a commodity office. So he, he's a trader and helps people put trades in place. And, you know, arguably he was always, and I think sort, sort of still is kind of an anti stock market person because he feels the rush from commodity trading essentially. But he and I would argue because my point was, yes, stock market goes down some years, but essentially, if you look at a really, really long chart, it, it's gone up in the past because of it, it matches the earnings of companies. So you're, you're investing in corporate or companies where commodities are a product. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, maybe corn and soybeans are high priced today as we talk relative to other years, but they're, they're kind of in a band, I think. You know what I mean? Yep. I, I don't think corn is going to go to $200 per bushel. No, <laughs> you know, I mean, does that seem, we're kind of talking apples and oranges, I guess, but it- but there's a lot of similarities. I mean, you mentioned the ups and downs and, and the, the commodity markets, uh, the Chicago Board of Trade, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's a, it was a tool given for agriculture to hedge your losses, hedge your gains. So you have an opportunity to, um, somebody's got to set the base of the price. Someone somewhere has to set what is the value of this product today. And that's what changes. Uh, the biggest thing is with, um, foreign exports, uh, you know, the, the swine industry had to change their whole feeding process because the European nation's want different uh, uh they don't like growth promoters in the in their meats and stuff so they all have the ability to go to the border trade and hedge their, their their markets uh we at the co-op uh couldn't live without the, the border trade just for the fact that you have to cover yourself and uh where we get big swings uh, basis i mean i don't know what in, in financial jargon, that would be, but we always dealt with a lot of basis, meaning uh, the difference between the price on the farm and the difference between the price on Chicago Board of Trade. Sure. That's, that was, uh, and that's a vital part is of the marketing process. And, and I don't think agriculture could survive without it. They, they need a, a place to, to, to kind of cover yourself once in a sure. while. Sure. I am having a flashback memory. Eric always loves when I have these flashback memories, right? <laughs> we need a sound effect. We really need a sound effect for that. <laughs> but you, you mentioned the, the Board of Trade, and I'm having a flashback. This is 40 years ago to, I was a young young man, and I remember hearing this my first story of the Board of Trade, and it was my grandfather talking about his brother-in-law. And he's no longer with us, so I'm going to still call him out, out by name. Willard <laughs> was his first name. But anyway, Willard was not in the farming industry, but he was a, a commodity speculator, apparently. Hmm. And the, the funny part of the story, or the first time I ever heard of the Board of Trade, was because Willard had apparently inadvertently taken delivery of a rail car full of eggs that were sitting in Chicago, and he had no way to get them move them. I, I don't know if you have to pay to empty the, the rail car. I don't know. But I, I think it was funny to my grandfather, like maybe the brother-in-law wasn't the smartest guy <laughs> that his story is portrayed. I don't know. Well, that's one of the dangers of, uh, of uh, in the agriculture side of people uh, using the board of trade. They don't want to turn into a speculator. That is not what makes egg tick today. But 
they do drift over that way at times. Back in the 70s, we've had some really drastic markets uh, that took a lot of people out. I mean, uh, I remember in the beef swings. Uh, um, back in 79, uh, we had the grain embargo, and all of a sudden, boom, you don't want to take delivery of these products. Like you said, what do you do with it? You know, you can't. It, and I think you've hit this a couple times, things you can control and things you can't control in life. And it doesn't matter if we're talking farming or stock market. A lot of us need to get out of bed and maybe just worry, worry about the things we can control. And as my mother always says, I can control my attitude toward things. <laughs> you know, when you think you're down and out, you don't maybe have to be. Well, that's that's uh, the fun part. And I, I was always sent to uh, various grain seminars and stuff like this because we were always looking at, okay, how can we make marketing? means we're in the Chicago board conversation. How can we get marketing to be a better part of, of farming today? Because there's a lot of scary parts of the Chicago board of trade, and you touched on a couple of them, but we always uh, uh, promoted as much as we possibly can to hedge, to hedge, to cover your costs, because that's where we lived in that world. But I think it's it's just so important that people realize that it it's a, uh, it's a, uh, tough, tough deal to make them decisions and stuff that, uh, that determine your destiny. And that's kind of where egg uh, struggles at times. Um, you know, we, there was a day that our markets were determined by the government. Uh, you sealed your grain and, and that never, uh, the, our market in Northwest Iowa is over to the river. Well, that's the farthest part from Iowa. So today, how did we change that market? We talked about livestock. Let's feed it. Let's create a market. Let's, uh, uh, and then in the nineties come, uh, ethanol. So he, we create another market. Um, so it's been a, a, a good, they all got to work together, I guess. Right. You know, that's where I see it. What, what do you think of ethanol? Just first sake, good, bad, indifferent. You know, when it first came around as a, as a feed department, you know, we have to buy grain to, so that was competition for us. We thought when they first come today, we couldn't run without them. I think ethanol is, is I know it, it's kind of a, one of these deals that it, it takes money to make it, you know, it takes gas, takes natural gas to create ethanol. So we're burning fossil fuels to make ethanol. Um, but I think as an egg sector, it's a, we would be lost without the, the set, the part of, of ethanol that we have in our backyards today. I think they're a vital part. And I think it's a renewable fuel that we can deal with, we can work with, and it's, and it's, it's a good source. Um, and it's become farmer's friend. I really think it's, that gave him another opportunity, another avenue to price their commodities sure, and turn around and buy it back. You know, the byproducts off of, uh, have, that's what we feed livestock today. It all goes through livestock. So it's a double source. So it's, it's, I think it's, I hope it stays. I hope we, well, I know it's got to be subsidized. I know the government, you know, we did have some subsidies in the ethanol plants. Uh, but I think in, in the Midwest, it's a good deal for us. I really think it is. Sure. We talk about subsidies. So now I'm going to go off on a, on a, on a tangent. What do you think of wind turbines? Oh, man. I guess if I had a quarter section of land, I'd fill it up with wind turbines because <laughs> I, I hear the payment for the leases are really good. Um, I see wind turbines are the, the problem for the power companies. 
Because when it's windy, you have power. When it's not windy, and who's going to fill in that void? You know, right. when the wind's not blowing and we're not making electricity, do we get a big battery somewhere? You know, how do you store electricity? And I think that's that's the challenge, I think, with the windmills. I know there's a, it's really a, a new thing. And again, it's, it's kind of subsidized, I'm, I understand. Right. And, and I think it's, uh, it's a good renewable source, but I don't know how it's a costly source too, I think. Yeah, because if I understand right, I don't think they can store the electricity. Is that right? It has no. to almost just go you, and be used? Right. And that's where I think our, our power companies struggle because they're required to take that electricity and use it. You know, it's part of the grid. And but it's not a consistent grid, you know, and that's yeah. just how I see it. I, I wish the like, you know, uh, the, the folks down the road, uh, REC could tell you a whole lot better story about it. But I think it's a challenge for them people to have to deal with for their in- infrastructure to be able to handle that kind of stuff. Sure. And, and it's not consistent, it's not always, yeah. it's not always windy, you know. So I think, but I, I can see the value in it too. Like in California, it's been there for years. I can I can understand that that that's probably a viable source, but uh, up here it's it's still new yet. I think. Sure, you talked about um, commodities. Well, we've talked a lot about commodities, but if if we sat in a commodity office, a trading office for a day, do you think there would be more hedging done by the average agriculture person in a day, or more speculating? Um, you know, in agriculture, I think the the hedging's become we've become educated. Okay. Um, dad sends the son to college, gets an education. He understands it. And I think the, the son takes over some of the marketing process. They're not fearful of the board of trade. Um, so I think today, um, I wouldn't dare to say what percentage there's some speculating still done. Don't kid yourself. Sure. That's not going to go away, but I think, Today, the uh, the majority of agriculture is is disciplined, and and they use it as a as an insurance factor, sure, know, in their day to day products. Well, and when you talk discipline, I know you and I talked a little bit off air too of uh, banking in this type of industry that, and you and you talked about risk that there's so many variables. Do you think the the bankers treat? I'm trying not to step on any toes or throw the bankers under the bus, but do you think bankers treat people in the ag industry that are borrowing money differently than uh, the guy or gal running a, a retail store or a, or a car dealership or, you know what I mean? You know, I don't always want to go back to the bad times, but, uh, you know, again, in the eighties, when we dealt with, uh, double digit interest rates and stuff, uh, and, and us as a co-op, um, we got, we got burned with some of the banks. Um, we stuck the, the feed into the livestock. The livestock went to sale. The bank kept the check. <laughs> and, you know, we, we struggled with that. You know, we got through it. But, you know, in the 80s, because, you know, we always sat at the banker's desk and say, what percentage of that, that check can we get? He says, none, it's mine. And, uh, and that was hard to deal with. And it made uh, the feed suppliers uh, negative. I mean, it was a, it was a, you didn't want to do anything, but there was no cash. You had to have borrowing capabilities. And, and so you need the banks. The banks had to be your friend. 
And the, the good thing that came out of any of these challenges and struggles were, I think we made better managers out of people when things were tough. Um, you know, you can sell a new car, finance a new boat, and you can go get that boat again. You can get that car. You can get it back. They don't make the payments. Uh, you get it back. You can't do that in, far in farming. Again, about the risk, you know, if, if it hails, if it don't rain, if it, you know, the, the cattle get sick, the hogs die. And that all happens. That's a real thing. And, uh, and I think they had a tough job. They had, had a tough job to determine what is my risk here? What is my, can I get this back? Right. And, and I see this all the time sitting at my desk or my conference room table with people that they forget that banks are businesses out to make a profit. You know what I mean? And, and they think, well, how come the bank won't pay me for my deposits? Well, at the end of the day, the bank is trying to make money. They're going to be your friend because they want to loan you money, but they want to get paid. Yep. <laughs> you know? And again, the dollar bill is a commodity. It is a commodity to the bank, you know, yeah. and uh, you bet they, they, uh, they got to pay for the, when they stick the key in the door, they know how many dollars they need to come in with every day. Right. And, and I think uh, it's just another business that working together with a clear communication is still key uh, to banks. But yeah, the, you know, agriculture had some tough years and banks got some bad raps. Sure. Um, a lot of people ended up with uh, government financing, FMHA, uh, stuck their neck out and helped a lot of these guys get through. And, and, and thank goodness they did, because I think uh, there's some people here today that did that are still here and they're profitable today. But uh, not all of them made that. You know? Right. So how about your best story from your career? Best or uh, funniest or memorable or any of the above? No mind. There's probably 40 years of that, but in our um, my business here, that I manage in Rock Rapids, here we had a, a, a we have a feed mill, and I'm going to tell you this. I don't know if this is funny to anybody, but uh, we always had to have uh, um, become HACCP certified to be able to make animal food. And, and notice I said food because it's the same food as what you and me eat. But anyhow, uh, we had an inspection process that uh, happened every year. And heaven forbid, if you were to fail your inspection as a manager, that was a big deal. So part of that goes, I, I get outside at the end of the day, I tell all the guys, Hey, we're going to, we're going to clean up and get everything spotless. So the inspector gets here, we'll be impressed. Da, 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 da. And so I start the process of cleaning down the basement and I'm kind of losing what time it is. And I figured we're all of a sudden nobody's around. So I go upstairs and this is pretty bad. I'm, I'm supposed to be managing this place, but I come upstairs. They locked the door and left me in the basement. <laughs> they went home, <laughs> you know, in a way I, I think it's funny. And I think, you know what, you, you sure messed that one up, Kudum. But anyhow, um, that's maybe one of the, 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 the dumbest things that ever happened. We had opportunities to work with some powerful, good people. And, and I think, uh, they all felt bad when it was all done, you know, but anyhow, we, uh, we passed the inspection. So that was a big thing. Kind of how a mutiny starts, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how about, I'll throw you this. We're getting off the rails a little bit, but it's kind of fun. And I like to ask this question of everybody, but is there a famous person that you've run across or, or met or, or sat in the same room with that, that would be of interest? Oh, my um well, that, you know, that's a, that's a big question. I come from a community of 200 people. There are not many 
uh, famous people come to a, <laughs> a community in Midwest in the Lyon County. Uh, but um, again, through the years of all the uh, training that we did through the co-op system and stuff, I had the opportunity to sit through a, a seminar with Coach Lou Holtz. Um, and, and at the time, we were trying to come up with ideas and it's a motivational speech. And, and, uh, um, I declare him as kind of a shaker in the, in the motivational world. Um, I, I, I think he's, uh, he's done well with his football coaching and it turns out that that was what we have to be back in the business world too, was we have to be a coach. We have to guide our team. We, and that's what was doing there. So I guess he would be the, the most famous person that I, uh, uh, was ever a, a, a chance to meet and, and listen to. And, and I know not everybody liked the man, but I think he had some really great qualities of, of training people. Sure. Along those lines, I, I was at a conference once and uh, football coach Brian Billick spoke. He, he had coached the Ravens, uh, won a Super Bowl, Baltimore Ravens. And I, he said this quote, it was talking about hiring good employees, essentially. But And I think he stole the quote from somebody else. But the quote was essentially... Uh, it's kind of like a ham and egg breakfast. The chicken's involved, but the pig is committed. You know, and the, the point was you wanted more employees that are committed to the project. But it's a, he might have said twenty five other really good things, but I only I only kept that one nugget. You know, <laughs> no, that that's true. You know that that chicken he went home again, but the, the pig didn't make it home. Yeah, no, I believe that. Too. Uh, and I think uh, one of his books, I think it, Mr. Holtz uh, wrote, was the uh, title was Win, Lose, and Learn. And uh, that is so such a true statement today, not only in, in, uh, in agriculture, I think it's in family life, uh, it's in uh, the financial world it, where, uh, where Corey gets to be, a, he's my coach, and uh, he's got a team back here doing the same thing. So very easy to relate back to, and, and I think uh, yeah, there's some good things there. Sure. And, and even you, I know we got to wrap up here pretty soon, but I'll throw this out there. You've had a career change in, in, in recent times. I mean, has that been what you expected or? Well, yeah, we, uh, we retired in 2020. Uh, and if you remember what date that, that was uh, the beginning, kind of the COVID and retiring is scary. Um, when you've been able to have a paycheck every day, every day for your whole career, and all of a sudden, you don't get a paycheck next week. How do we do this? But um, what's merely, uh, I had a wise man tell me one thing when we retired, because I'd always ask everybody, how much money you need? How much money you need to retire? Well, nobody had an answer, you know? So I never got that question answered. But uh, this gentleman says, when you retire, take your time. Take a little time to step back. And see once how retire. Take it for a test run, and that was Corey Hymanson that told oh, yeah. me that. But <laughs> I did. Was, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, you did. You know, and we did that. Yeah. We sat back one year, um, kind of got used to our little budget thing, uh, pay attention or have the ability to be in more activities and stuff. But uh, um, I really know why people retire now. I mean, it's 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 scary, but yet that first step is a big one. Yeah. And, uh, but it all turns out really well, but you need people in your court. I mean, it's, it's important, I think, to uh, have a, a fallback guy. Um, cause yeah, you worked your whole life for a, a, a amount of money and, and you hand it over and you, yeah, there's, there's some people that are concerned about that. And, but I think it's, it's, it's to do with trust. 
trust. And I think, well, thanks. I, I took that as a compliment. I don't even know if it was, but yeah, it was um, a funny compliment. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it comes back to attitude too. Don't you think whether you're, you're, whether you're a working guy or gal, or if you're a retired guy or gal, you got to get out of bed and have the right attitude. Don't you think? Well, you know, I think anybody that retires and says, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, that's a false statement. There is many things you can do to fill in your time. And, and we found that little niche and we've been having, um, my wife and I have been having a, a fun time doing it. Uh, we do some things that we've never done in the past. Uh, we always talk about traveling. We haven't gotten there yet, but <laughs> gas is too high. So, uh, we stayed away from that, but, uh, um, I think it's a, it's a good end to a career is uh, find a, um, a company that you can trust with your, with your, your lifely, uh, yeah, that's many years of work. You, you, you're hard to let it go, but um, it's trust and, and faith in the people you hand it to. Sure. Will you ever kind of phase out in your life, the, the love for agriculture and, and farming, or, or is that just you're done with that. Oh no, no. My wife gets on me. I, I still watch RFD on TV. <laughs> I watch the markets. Uh, no, that I don't think that'll ever leave me. Um, I still enjoy watching. Yep. Um, I think I'm falling behind on the new trends, the new technologies and stuff. Cause uh, if we look back at the, the seed genetics that have changed, I mean, it's unbelievable. The crop protection, um, products that they have today, keeping the weeds and, and everything, the, the, the nutrients, the, all these new things I've, I've fallen behind on. Uh, the other day I was painting a picket fence and I, this plane was flying over us, uh, applying something while he's flying fungicides. Hmm, that's cool. You know, uh, so them little things I fall behind, but yo, no, I still, I still watch markets. Yeah. I do. And it's, there's technology everywhere. You know, so when I talk about that person in Manhattan that hasn't seen a cornfield or knows what a pork belly is, <laughs> you know, I mean, technology improves all things in our society. And that's, there we go. I'm going off another tangent. That's why you invest, yes, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you talk about, we got some friends here in Rock Rapids, it's harvest time. So we're going to be in the combine, but you know what? They got an, a, a book in the combine and says, when do you get time to read? Well, I read while I'm combining because they don't steer the combine anymore. It's all GPS. And, and then things are just, I don't understand how that works, but it, it, it does. And it's, it's an awesome, awesome thing. So the biggest takeaway for listeners out there is that automatic driving was probably in place in farm machinery before it was in electric cars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we always make reference to the Jetsons. Well, we're in the Jetsons era right now, I think. And, uh, and agriculture's got some really nice equipment. I mean, it's, it's big and green or red or whatever color it is, but they're gorgeous. But the negative to that is the capital it takes to own that stuff. It's unbelievable. You, you get know? what you pay for. Absolutely. There Absolutely. You go. I'm pretty sure Eric has a George Jetson tattoo. Is that right, Eric? I do. We won't say which one, but... Um... Yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it's it's on my hip, and that's all we'll say. Oh, I was just going to ask, where did you put that? You yeah, it's, it's my right hip. That, that that's where the Jetson tattoo needs to be in the, in my book, at least. Oh my god, I couldn't help it. I had to throw that at you, man. Oh sure, by all means. So Wes, I do have a question for you that has absolutely nothing to do with you know kind of what you've talked spoken about already, except for one thing. I hope you share this podcast with your wife because it, this involves her. Um, you haven't gotten to traveling yet. And as a man that it sounds, what I'm getting is that you love the land. You, you appreciate God's beauty. You appreciate what the earth in its entirety has to offer. If money wasn't an object and, you know, 
gas prices were super cheap or jet fuel was, where's the one place that you would want to visit first when you get ready to travel? Where's the one place you want to go and see? You know, we've, uh, we've talked many times. We've flown to California. We've done some of them things, but, uh, and you mentioned God's grace. I mean, it's, it's the Grand Canyon is, is, is something that was made by, not by man, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, before I get to hit the grave, I, I would like to, I, I like nature. I like the, uh, the trees, the, the things that, that the good Lord made for us. And, uh, I think, you know, the Grand Canyon would probably be my first choice uh, if I could just buzz over there and just look at the vast, I see pictures and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, totally impressed with that. Yeah, that it's, and it is impressive as someone who has been there definitely on the bucket list. So you've checked off podcasts. Now it's time to check off the Grand Canyon, friend. There we go. There we <laughs> go. Right. I better tell my wife this. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Wes, thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your time, your knowledge, your wisdom with us, Corey. Um, people need knowledge, wisdom, and that's, that's where you come in, right? Uh, Wes said it best. You're, you're part of the team. You're part of the overall plan and, and you're helping clients uh, every day retire. And, and this is something that people do once, right? We retire one time, but you do this over and over and over and over again with clients. So you have the experience. How do they get a hold of you if they want to talk about maybe setting up their own plan? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would mention also that it's not just the day you retire, that five years before you right. retire and the five years after that 10-year window is, is critical uh, point uh, in your life to have somebody on the team. And mm-hmm. so if, if, if you'd like to give us a call, we're happy to visit with you. That's 800-657-4316. Thank you again, gentlemen, for this podcast. It was great. And of course, our last thank you goes to your listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Win Podcast with Corey Hymanson. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Corey comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hymanson Wealth Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Win Podcast. What's important now? The show that helps you achieve your financial dreams. To ask questions about topics covered during the show or get a copy of Stop Doing Dumb Things With Your Money by Corey Hymanson, visit www.hymansonwealth.com or give us a call at 712-472-3867. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Hymanson Wealth Advisors and Securities America are separate entities.